You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to take a quick minute to let you guys know about Rockabilia.com. I know you guys know Rockabilia. You've seen those ads with all the colorful t-shirts for all those bands. I know for me it was a big deal growing up in Alaska, back in the woods where there was no internet, and we'd get those magazines at the store... And I would do two things. First, I would go to Rockabilia, that big full-page colorful ad, and find the coolest t-shirt I could find, the band that looked the most badass. Then I would go to the page in, and I would look at BMG for the five or ten CDs for a penny, and I would go through and try to find those bands, make that connection, and order those records. And a lot of those bands ended up changing my entire life. Now, before the internet... You could always go on and look in those magazines and see those shirts, but now it's all online, rockabilia.com. Great rates on shipping, the same great merchandise, the same amazing bands, and it's a lot easier to go check those bands out. For me, it was partially discovery and partially you know, just becoming a teenager, becoming an adult, going through and finding those bands. So one hilarious story for Rockabilia was I got my first white zombie t-shirt through Rockabilia. It was a black and white t-shirt with the band on it. All my friends started making fun of me for wearing that shirt because they were getting into punk rock and I was still into metal. Now, I never got out of metal, but Rockabilia was there after the, the hazing got too much. And I went and ordered my first Green Day shirt from Rockabilia, which in turn started off my entire musical career going from playing Green Day covers back in the trailer in Alaska in the woods to the stages of the world playing with Anatomy of a Ghost and Portugal the Man. And Rockabilia had a big part in that. I know it will for you as well. I know it still does. It's nostalgic, but at the same time, they've been keeping up with the times online, rockabilia.com. Check them out now and have your own discovery.
What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. And this week we have Ben Harwood from Hobosexual, the band you have been hearing for the last four episodes now, I believe. They're the new theme song of the show. They are an incredible band out of Seattle. Hobosexual is the name. The new album is called Monolith. It is absolutely fantastic. It is full of so many different genres. And what an awesome dude. What an awesome band. And uh, Ben, just a fantastic guy. You know, I, I know I say that a lot, but I was truly inspired at the end of this conversation. And I told him that on the episode. You'll probably hear it on the edited version. <laughs> but I told him I was leaving this conversation inspired. He is a true individual living life exactly how he wants to live it and doing his thing and has been his whole entire life to this day and makes his living from music, whether it's guitar lessons or just hustling. I mean, I love to see that so much when it comes to creative people is the hustle. You know, the creativity is there already musically, um, artistically, but the creativity in life is something I like to see. And that's something I see a lot on the show with guests is how they hustle, you know, don't want a day job. They need to make it somehow and they find a way to do it. And that practical creativity is, you know, you can't teach that you just have it or you don't. And Ben is one of those guys that, that has that. And I think you guys are going to be inspired at the end of this too. Uh, it's a lot of fun. This episode I've been really excited for this one to come out, um, and Monica, his publicist, hit me up with the with the record in advance to check out, just out of nowhere, once again, discovering another band that was not only fantastic, but one I wanted to use for the new theme song for the show. I'm, I'm probably going to change it up every year. Um, we'll, we'll see, but I really like the feel of this song. It's called Trans Am Sunday. Um, I've got a couple emails on it already. Well, more than a couple, actually. I kind of shocked how many emails I got asking what song this is. And uh, yeah, so glad to share that with you guys. And you guys know you can email me at any time and uh, I'll answer whatever questions you have. And I'm usually pretty quick to respond um, as I, you know, I get those notifications right on my on my phone or, or wherever I'm at. Anyway, we are on peerpleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on SoundCloud, we're on Facebook, we are everywhere, and we are now, check this out guys, I know I said it last week, but we are now on Spotify. You can stream the podcast anywhere uh, on Spotify, you don't have to have a premium membership uh, podcast, you can select which episode you want and uh, check them out. So if you don't have access to iTunes or any of that other stuff, check it out on, uh, on Spotify. It's absolutely fantastic to be on that family of podcasts. So, and we are, as always, on Jabberjaw Media. We've got some awesome shows on there. A lot of stuff to check out. Check out rockabilia.com. Uh, that's one of our big sponsors right now. And what a fantastic website. Um, I do want to tell you, I tell you every week, but I want to tell you again uh, patreon.com slash peer pleasure podcast. Join the Pleasure Seekers Club. It's well worth it. There's a lot of tiers on there to suit everyone's. Uh, situation and uh, you know we just did some merch and uh, you guys have been doing a fantastic job of spreading the word about the show the numbers are growing every every week and it, it's so awesome to see and uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on I know things have been a bit fucked lately everywhere you turn something's going on 
in a negative fashion, whether it be in the music business, in the movie business, in America, in the world, a lot of negativity. And I just want you guys to know if you guys are, you know, hurting, struggling, if you don't want to reach out, you know, through email or or to get in touch with me and need someone to talk to, put on the show, man. I, I try to make this show something where someone can connect with it, but also kind of escape for an hour or two. Escape the world, escape what you're doing, escape traffic, escape that shitty plane flight you're on. Um, you know, I know podcasts are something where you're usually doing something else when you're listening to it. But I want this to be able to be an escape for you guys to, to you know, get lost in someone else's story for a little while and kind of forget what's going on. You know, I try to keep my views on things and, and talking about things to a minimum just for that reason. I just want you to be able to tune in, get some, you know, some laughs, uh, hear about somebody else's struggle and how they came out of it. You know, just trying to be very genuine with that and, and, and true to form. So hopefully we're doing that. We've got a lot of people emailing, you know, every single week, we got tons of emails from people that have listened to every episode so far and some people that have just joined us. So, uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, let this be your escape. If you need to reach out, you're struggling, you need to talk to somebody, hit me up, purepleasurepod at gmail.com. I will answer any questions. I will, I mean, you got my time. I appreciate you guys more than anything. I really love that you guys come back week after week, and it means a lot to me. And uh, having your guys' time definitely means a lot to me because that's something you can't get back. You spend two hours with me, that's something you could have been doing something else, and it, and that means a lot. So, I want to put that out there for you. Uh, I appreciate you guys, and uh, let's go ahead and get into it here. Uh, let's get into my conversation with Ben Harwood from Hobosexual. from Hobosexual. Welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast, my friend. Oh, thank you, sir. So uh, you're up in Seattle, right? Uh, yes. Uh, I grew up uh, you know, in the suburbs of Seattle. I moved here in my early 20s, and I've uh, been here. Well, actually, I just had to move back to the suburbs recently because uh, we couldn't afford to live there anymore. But I, as of up until about a month ago, I lived in Seattle from my early 20s through my, uh, my late 30s. Okay. What's, what suburb of Seattle? Uh, so I, I grew up in Auburn, okay. and um, I, moved, I moved to Renton with my dad briefly in college, and then I uh, moved just now recently uh, to Kent, which is about the only place we could afford to live, um, and that's where we're currently residing. Uh, Jeff, uh, my bandmate, is still in Seattle, though. Okay. 
yeah, Seattle is outrageous. I I moved down from Alaska to start touring, and and uh, we went to Portland in 2000 because it was cheaper. We wanted to go to Seattle, but we went to Portland. Now Portland is skyrocketing. It's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. We just couldn't afford it. You know, we saved for about a decade to try to buy the, the little rental we were in, but the housing market just kept getting more and more nuts. I mean, it it got to a point where I think the little rental we got into maybe had a buy price, you know, 280000 and when we just moved last month, it was at somewhere close to 800, which is just like, you know, there's no way we're ever going to afford that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, that's, I, yeah. that's outrageous. You go look at like, yeah, you go look at a little, like, I, I went and looked at a little 500-square-foot home around the corner from us and got barked off a lot by a couple of different real estate agents all fighting over the same place. It was just after that, we were like, "Well, let's just start looking south because uh, this is not gonna not gonna pan out," you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my <laughs> parents live in Renton as well in the Highlands, and uh, so I'm familiar with that. I lived in Puyallup for a little while, and uh, so super familiar with that area. But that's that's crazy. I had to go all the way to Kent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kent's not Kent's not cheap either, but you know it's. The prices are at least around where they were in Seattle when we moved there. I don't know, fourteen years ago. You know, and started renting. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of where we left off at least. Yeah. Well, so I this is the I talk about this all the time on the show, but how the show's kind of about just as much you know catching up with old friends and things like that. It's it's about discovery and and uh, when I got the press release for Monolith from Monica. Um, I immediately I opened the email and I was like, "What is this?" And uh, I put it on at work. I had my headphones in and everything, and and because uh, I, I saw the name and I was like, well, "That's interesting. What is this?" You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't put off at all or anything like that. It was, I was more intrigued. Like I wasn't like, "Oh, well, this looks this looks you know silly." It was like, "What is this?" You know, and it said from Seattle, and I was like, "Man, I'm surprised I haven't heard of this." And I put it on, and it is fantastic, my man. It is. I I emailed her back and I was like, "This is amazing. How have I not heard this before? Like, this is great." And uh, uh, you know, that record is just fantastic. And it's coming out November third, correct? That's the that Uh, release date. Okay, so uh, yeah, correct. Third resales about a week ago, but uh, the actual official release date for the record is November third. Yeah. Okay, so Monolith by by Hobosexual third record. This record is a a monster. Like I was, I didn't know you guys were a two piece after listening to the record. I was like, I went back because I I put the the way it comes through. I put the the holics on first uh, before I read yeah. any description, and so I listened to the whole record all the way through. And then I went and started reading, and I was like, two piece? What? <laughs> I mean, it's it's insane. It and uh, I mean, just for if, if for my listeners that that haven't heard it yet. Uh, of course, they haven't heard the the new record, but haven't heard of you guys. I mean, a two piece band that sounds like a six piece band with just the amount of force and and uh, pure volume. I mean, it's just insane. And I mean, catchy uh, melodies. I mean, it's just awesome. And I wanted to, to kind of I want to start off earlier on on kind of growing up and and stuff like that, but. How did you guys come together and start Hobosexual? Like, what was the idea behind it? Well, um, you know, I was, uh, uh, I, you know, I was, I was classically trained, um, 
you know, through my early 20s, I went to a, a you know, like a top 10 music school. And, you know, I got done with school. And but the whole reason I, I went to school was I wanted to be able to apply that in the rock world. And so once I got out into the, you know, the real world, the uh, competitive musician type world, I just started gigging and playing out a lot. And at uh, some point, I decided I wanted to put together a band. And um, Jeff was one of the first people ever to respond to an ad. I put a stranger just looking for, you know, musicians to play with. And uh, he showed up and audition, and uh, the audition went really, really, really well. He's just a great, solid player. Um, and we, you know, we hit it off pretty well personality-wise, and we were in several bands together. Um it got to a point where the other people in our band were so, like, it was just like any other band story. You've got, you know, the other guitar player and the bassist that just cancel last minute all the time, and you're constantly, you know, juggling schedules. And so Jeff and I had gotten to this point where we had all these gigs lined up, and we were playing out, you know, just constantly. And I remember several members of the last uh, incarnation of a larger group we were in just flaked out. And Jeff and I decided to finish the gigs out by just showing up to the shows, playing as a duo, and making our entire setup. So we would show up to, like, the old Funhouse or, uh, I guess, like, El Corazon when that was still going on. Um, geez, I'm trying to think of some other, like, venues that we played, just small stuff, you know, Blue Moon, High Dive. And uh, we just made the entire setup as a duo. And out of that, we started to kind of formulate riffs. And that was when the kernel of an idea for Hobo started. And that started based off of us just both taking stock of who we really were, um, what what was and what has been going on around us in Seattle for a long time, which is, you know, extreme gentrification of everything, extreme homogenization of the entire art scene. And we were like, you know, at some point, Hobosexual was blurted out. This was back maybe 2009, I think, when the band was just forming and i just thought it was like the perfect name and um we've gotten flack for the name um mainly just because people don't understand the background um i was also raised in a uh you know a very diverse family i guess is the, the bluntest way to put it um and so again the name to me and in terms of growing up poor and Jeff growing up poor, we both grew up on welfare. Uh Jeff growing up uh in New York and me growing up around here, uh, the name just fit us and we just started playing out and it immediately turned into something a lot bigger than we had anticipated was going to happen. And within I mean, I would say the first year or two of just being a band, uh, you know, we were we were on our way, you know, playing great shows and um, really building a pretty strong, to this day, very passionate following, you know, which has been which has been great. Mm-hmm. So, and so, I mean, with with that rise, I mean, it was pretty much right away where you started gathering attention. Do you think? Do you think it was from the name itself, or people were like kind of like me, where I was like, "Oh, I'm checking this out right now." To or it or was, was it live shows? It was um, it, a little bit of it was the name. Mm-hmm. And then it was placing the live show. So it's like the big breakout for us, I think, was back when they had this thing called Reverb Fest. Uh-huh. And this is back in like 2010, and they ended up taking us out in this bar way off the festival strip. And it was the, one of the first gigs we'd ever played. And 
right out of the gate, we got this really glowing review in The Stranger and The Weekly. And then we showed up and we played the show. And I guess, you know, with our aesthetic, I mean, we've just always been about, like, you know, sweat, hair, teeth, volume, just fucking go insane, you know? Yeah. And people at that time were rocking out to, like, the head and the heart and, you know, that kind of stuff. So they show up to this thing and... I think people just didn't know what the hell hit them. It's like they hadn't seen a real rock show in a really long time. Yeah. You know, with hair and sweat and, you know, and just all this, like, four amplifiers. Just, why do you have four amplifiers? Because I can. You know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and then this real tongue-in-cheek just sort of not taking ourselves seriously at all. You know, like, joking between sets dropping entire phrases and cracking up, uh, you know, dipping over backwards over the drum kit. We just, you know, we didn't, and we still just, we just don't give a crap about, like, you know, being polished or any of that crap. It's just, you know, go for it. So I think that aesthetic combined with the name sort of right there after Reverb, it was like the whole playing field for Loud Rock, I think, really changed for us and a lot of people in Seattle. Because I think people woke up and saw that, wow, we can do that. And then we started seeing bands like The Grizzled Mighty, um, you know, Thunder Pussy eventually came along. They're a big deal now. Mm -hmm. All of those bands were directly influenced by that early aesthetic. Man, it seems like it's going back to a time, especially in Seattle, when music was real again. Like, People didn't care, you know, what they looked like necessarily. It was all about the the emotion and the the volume. And it seems like when you have that true output, you don't need the rest. It seems like a lot of bands that are super polished and, and image-focused and things like that are, uh, aren't going to be taken seriously. And if they are, they're taken seriously by people that are not tuned in and not switched on enough to, to recognize it. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. kind of just spoon fed yeah. to them. We sort of, I mean, we sort of in this band just, I mean, there's there's just so much going on right now in music. And something that's been difficult for us to deal with as a band is, you know, and I, I saw some comment, I think it was from Kim Warnett of the Fast Facts, when they were asking some, you know, just a general question um, about, you know, what's the difference between bands now and bands you know, of yesterday. And and I, her comment was simply that I miss bands being funny and not taking themselves seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm not talking about goofy. I'm just talking about going out and, you know, having some good, good bad fun, raising some good, bad trouble, you know, raising some help. Yeah. And I think we, you know, more and more and more in Seattle now, there's an insulator where politics especially is really infiltrating the music scene to where, again, there's a homogenization of the whole process that we've, we found ourselves like, you know, bands like us sort of um, developing worlds and pockets the best that we can and continuing forward with our aesthetic, which is like what Kim said, don't take yourself too seriously. Uh-huh. Just go out there and have fun and, and then, but take the music seriously. Right. Um, and then you've got this whole other pocket of people with the Macklemore dudes and the, you know, just the, you know, going for whatever they can to cover 
however many bases they can with, I, I suppose, you know, the Amazon, Microsoft, upper middle class, you know, tech pro crowd, yeah. you know, and we're just never going to be that band. Uh, first and foremost, we're just not good looking enough. You know, Jeff and I, I just always remember that quote from Seth Rogen in The 40-Year-Old Virgin where he's like, look at me. I mean, really look at me. I mean, I am uglier than shit. And I'm like, that's, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, and you look back at a lot of bands from yesteryear, and we're not talking about, you know, super close attractive people here, you know. Uh, and this band is very much just more about pure viscera and the aesthetic of, you know, everything we've been we've been hitting on. Sure, sure. And you think about it, like, think about think about a band, like one of your favorite bands, how much time have you actually spent in you know looking at a person versus listening to the records i mean it's it's just silly that you can sell records from just being good looking you know what i mean where and those aren't the fans you're going to want either those aren't the people you're going to want listening to your music i mean it's they don't appreciate it obviously they're just looking for you know something that's pleasing to the eye but i mean even watching go ahead oh go ahead sorry I was just going to say after after listening to the record and you know reading through the press release from Monica, I went and watched uh, an episode of Band in Seattle, which you guys did, and then watching you yeah. guys live, and it's intense. I mean, it's visually intense. You know, it's not you know the Backstreet Boys up there, of course, but it's it's you know it's its own thing. Is what I'm saying is you guys bring a a, a stage show and a presence. That's just as big. I mean, it's and I mean, hairs in the face, like it's raw and it's real. It's it's badass. And you know, those people there were having a, a fucking killer time. Those at the tractor, I think. Um, I think we incited Band in Seattle's first mosh pit. That's what they told us. That's amazing. They're <laughs> <laughs> just, just funny because I remember this quote unquote mosh pit, and it was like maybe twenty people getting excited and jumping up and down. You yeah. know, and I was like. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad we did. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that to them that mosh pit was insane and intense. You know? Sure, sure, <laughs> the absolutely. TV, the TV mosh pit, you know. Yeah. So that was funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just crazy. Like you think about it on a real level. I mean, you don't spend any time really looking at the the artists themselves you mean you're listening to the you're listening to the record you're spending time with the records and the music and what's being created and if you do get the chance to see the band you love live i mean you're in there for an hour and a half two hours tops i mean versus the life of of being a fan of a band i guess is what i'm getting at is you spend 99 percent of the time with the music and don't see them at all so it's hilarious that people like someone just because they're hot you know or listen to someone yeah. just because they're good looking you know and and uh i mean it, what, like, the way you guys said that that Seth Rogen quote absolutely hilarious. I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> about. And, uh, yeah. But then you know, also with band in Seattle, then it goes from so it starts. I pretty much starts out, I believe, with you guys playing, and I'm watching, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. And then it goes to you know you guys talking, and just you know, super nice, sweet guys that that you know you know what you're talking about, you know who you are, and it was really entertaining because I was like, man, it, on both fronts. I mean, on stage and off. You guys got something going on, and and uh, I was really excited to see that, you know, and and uh, it brought me in even closer. Where I was like, man, this is a great band. Well, thanks, man. I mean, that's the goal, you know. I mean, we're not we're not posing for anybody, and we don't have any, you know. There's there's no point in playing the 
you know, holier than thou cards or anything. It's just pointless. It's like in the end, you're just people, you know. And so, for us, we've always just been really just pretty laid back about that stuff. And um, you know, again, we take what we do seriously. Uh, There's a lot going on, like you said, you know, live where we thought kind of come up with this thing where we run a called a non-quantized analog loop system. So the way it works is when I go in to start setting up a loop, um, essentially I have to time how my foot comes down and comes off of the pedal that's actually capturing the notes. Uh I'd have to be played correctly. And then Jeff has the fantastically fun job of following this pedal that (laughs) on the fly has captured the on-off with my foot, right? Yep. And if my foot's off by a fraction of a second, Jeff's got to figure out how to, uh, you know, after, let's say, four uh, or eight bars, when it comes back around to loop in again, Jeff's got to figure out how much of a catch there is for that turnaround. So it's not going to be right on the beat. It might be slightly behind it. It might be slightly in front of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how we get that four-guys sound with two guys. You okay. know, um, that's how we get that bigger you know, bigger than normal sound. And that, that's just been years and years of, you know, figuring stuff out. But um, the logistics of being a duo uh, and the um, just the, the setup of it is so much, it's, it's so much more fun and so much easier, uh, at least has been for us than being in larger bands because it's just so, I, I guess, you know, if you need to go do something, you just call one other dude. You're like, hey, are you down to do this? And Jeff's like, yeah. And that's it. And, um, you know, there's not three other people's schedules or, you know, it's like, you know, herding cats when you get into like the four and five piece, you know, bands. And uh, touring's easier too, because we just got a, you know, we just got a Honda element that we ripped the teeth out of. <laughs> and we just pile everything we can into it, like a clown car, you know, when we're unloading it. But yeah. uh, it's, it's great. You get you know, great gas mileage. Uh, it's a good car. It's dependable. Um, and, you know, again, if we were any more than two people, we wouldn't be able to, to tour in something that easy, you know? Sure, sure. And the cool thing about that, which every band in the world wishes they probably had, is when you when you get home from tour, you can hose that thing out with a fucking hose. The, yeah. The, and spray it down. The, yeah. Those tour vans yeah. got so gnarly. That is amazing. <laughs> that is a life hack right there. That is a tour hack, right? You heard it here first. Hobosexual yeah. Honda Element Touring. Badass. <laughs> yeah, we tried to convince Honda to like make that a promotional, but Honda was like, "No." <laughs> they should have that. They should have that. They should have. They have the Honda Civic Tour. They should have the Honda Element Tour. It should be fucking small clubs with duos. I think if they put, if they put two hairy guys on their website <laughs> high fiving each other in front of an Element, I just I don't understand how it wouldn't work. I don't understand how they, how they wouldn't sell a billion cars. Exactly. I, mean, I know. Well, I know the elements just continued, but they could, you know, they could cross it over to like the new Civic or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not it's not the Civic CRV or whatever their current incarnation of the element is. But yeah, I uh, I keep thinking, man, they're just listening out on like marketing gold with this. <laughs> that's what you need to be doing. What are you doing for work outside of the band to to make money? Are you making enough from from the band? Yeah, uh, the band makes the band makes really good money, but it's it's definitely not enough that I would call like a full time living. It's it's you know we have periods of time when it definitely is. Um, licensing's been really good to us, and obviously you know we do really well with shows and record sales and all that stuff. Um, I you know I tend to uh, in order to make up the difference for what I need to make a living. You know, there's uh, I'll teach lessons. Um, there's you know there's workshops you can do. 
there's other you know there's other things you can play there's solo gigs there's uh you know there's all kinds of stuff you know yeah um there's a gig i'm doing coming up for like Neptune theater because you know some stuff i just do uh you know like stuff out of like even things you'd assume are like what i you know like uh, uh range wise i'm doing like a, a tom jones thing like a local lounge thing for like a, a big christmas bash you know and it's like so you just kind of, you know, I'll do that. And then um, I, I also do a lot of restoration. I, I've done a lot of restoration on vintage electronics, on, uh, you know, some instrumental repairs, amp repairs, that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm handy. You know, I'm good with electronics and stuff. So I'll, I'll do work like that. And uh, and then that, of course, can carry over to, like, sales on eBay, you know, things like that. But sure. that's pretty much it. That's just kind of by hook or by crook, you know, just kind of swinging from branch to branch and finding where you can make the the little bits here and there with what you with what you do well, you know, obviously. And then um, the band is the obviously the bulk of the, the living currently. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you can totally, I mean, you're pretty much living off music, regardless if it's from just the band, but, I mean, musical endeavors and then, you know, working with your hands anyway, you know, on... on yeah, that's yeah awesome. I've always enjoyed kind of, yeah, you know, being a musician is really, it's, it's really similar to being, you know, any any kind of, like, craftsman or engineer. They're, they're very similar fields. Like, there's a lot of finite things you need to pay attention to. There's a lot of things that, uh, you know, the output is related to mistakes you've made in the past that you've learned from. Um, I mean, you know, you can you can equate that to all kinds of things, you know, from carpentry to I mean, pretty much anything I can think of that has to do with, like, a, a craft or a, you know, like a, a profession, per se. Yeah. So, um yeah, so I just kind of you know, I dip my beak in all kinds of different uh, different stuff, but I tend to be better with the the finite kind of you know uh, small repair stuff. I guess I've got those steady doctor's hands, you know. Except, yeah. You know, obviously, <laughs> no PhD. I wish, right? <laughs> that would have been the right field to study in my early twenties. Yeah, know, like brain surgery or something, you know. But, exactly. Yeah. No, I chose me. I chose I chose musician. You know, that was that was my that was my uh, path. <laughs> yeah. When did you know? When did you know that that was what you wanted to do? I mean, you said you took lessons at an early age, but when did it click for you that like, nope, this is what I'm going to do? What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze, and you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid, and I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP 
slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. I was so sure uh, when I was like 14, I was just like, there was just no question. It was like, it was like a lightning bolt hit me when I heard, when I really started hear rock and roll for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, um, I ended up, you know, I was 15 and a half and I was in like eighth grade and I got really sick. And, um, my mom couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I lost like, you know, something like 60 pounds in oh like a few God. weeks. 
Yeah, so we just thought, I mean, poor family, you know, like, we just thought, shit, they've got cancer or something awful, you know? So, yeah, I piled into the car. I could barely stand up. Uh, I was peeing, like, every five minutes. Um, My stomach muscles were so deteriorated, I couldn't even sit up straight. And my mom drives me to the the doctor, and he comes into the room, and he takes one look at me, and he's, like, got this strangely calm look on his face. Like, not like, oh, my God, this kid's The Walking Dead. He's like, Ben, we're going to check your blood shit. And I'm like, okay. I'm just totally out of it. Uh-huh. He comes back five minutes later, and my mom's like, well, what's wrong, Doc? You know, and he goes, well, uh, Ben said diabetes. And so what had happened was I had juvenile onset type 1 diabetes, which affects 1% of 1% of all kids uh-huh. everywhere. There's no family history of it. There's, they don't. They still haven't really pinpointed exactly how it happens. But at some point, your body just decides to attack the islet cells of the pancreas, like an autoimmune disease, right? Yeah, yeah. And it kills the cells off, and you start running high blood sugars. But it's not like type two diabetes where you can run a blood sugar of like you know three or four hundred for ten years until they finally catch it. This is something that's really acute. It's quite, quite dangerous quite you, you go straight to insulin shots there's no pill there's nothing your body has killed off your insulin making abilities so the doc comes back and he says we're gonna have to take ben over to the hospital my mom's like okay and he's like i need to get another blood sugar reading because the blood sugar that we measured here on the machine at the office is off the machine's chart readable charts so they took me over to the hospital and they brought my my numbers back and i was running a blood sugar of 930 Holy which shit. is at the time, that was the second highest blood sugar Auburn General had ever seen. Like, the only guy that had one higher was, like, an old guy that just, I, I think he croaked, you know. But uh, it was it was bad. So they literally, if I remember this correctly, I, I may have been fairly out of it, but I seem to remember the doc literally hooking, like, a bag of insulin up to me. Like, you know, like the IV bag? Yeah. It was just basically like one of those but full of insulin and within a half an hour they had my blood sugar down to 130 and i just remember you know when you watch the old popeye cartoons and he eats the spinach and suddenly (laughs) you know it was like every problem everything that was wrong with me just evaporated it was like coming back from the dead my stomach muscles suddenly felt okay i could sit up straight the nausea was gone uh, the dehydration was immediately resetting itself. My kidneys were returning to normal function. I mean, it was insane. But having that kind of near-death experience, like where I was just right on the edge there for probably a couple of days, and having that kind of love for rock and roll, um, I think after that I was like, you know, life's too short. Yeah. Even at that age, I was absolutely sure. I was like, there's just, I could die tomorrow. And I, I and you know, my parents have repeatedly said like but how did you just jump into shots and how did you just you know and and the point is i guess it's like you do it or you die is really what it comes down to and when you finally let go of your control you have in this reality and you start to just say you know what i don't know how long i'm here for and i know i've got something i need to do there's something about something that physiologically challenging or overwhelming that i think for me was needed at that time it was the perfect timing, actually. And it's really, I think, ultimately what led me to be the insane nutbag that I am, you know, <laughs> overall. <laughs> yeah. 
dude, that is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. That's outrageous. I and I, oh my god, I can't imagine. I mean, I've got friends with diabetes. I've got friends with kids with diabetes, but getting to that level, I mean, I've heard of the, yeah. the ketoacidosis stuff uh, with yeah. a friend of mine no, that I has it. I probably had ketoacidosis at that point for, I think it was several weeks. I mean, I remember mom mentioning something about, I probably shouldn't get, I don't want to gross people out, but, you know, one thing that she mentioned that I look back on in retrospect now, I'm like, why didn't we figure this out? But it was like, she was finding like crystals, like on the toilet, you know, from, from peeing, right? Like crystals that oh, are yeah. actually forming. Those are sugar crystals, right? That's that ketoacidosis. And I'm, you know, of course, the disease, again, type 1 not being something that runs in families, I mean, she had no idea. She would have never guessed that. I would have never guessed that. I mean, we pretty much all just, you know, from a consensus, my sister, my mom, and I, by the time I was on my way to the hospital, we were like, yeah, Ben, so, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to, whatever's wrong with me is really horrible, you know? Yeah. And I was just, uh, it was, I got to tell you, when the doc said diabetes and the way he said it so so calmly, which was kind of humorous, almost like, I mean, I had a feeling that he probably dealt with that fairly often because, you know, most of his clients, all most of his patients were kids, you know, sure. between the ages of, you know, young to teenagerdom. It was actually a relief. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my mom started crying, and I remember when he said, you know, diabetes, and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> He's oh. like, like you're going to be on shot. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not, I'm not going to die, though. You yeah. Know, it was, it was uh, it, was, it was actually strangely cathartic. So. Oh, that's scary, too, because you said, I mean, growing up poor, of course you're going to try to wait it out before you take your kid to the hospital and spend a bunch of money, you know, where, okay, maybe he'll be better tomorrow and wait a couple days. That could have been fatal. Yeah, it played itself out like a flu. And my body's so resilient to blood sugars, even to this day I can run pretty high and pretty low blood sugars. Um like, you know, I've had sugars, this is really unusual, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really well controlled, but I've had some scares where the pump's clogged up and I've had sugars go up over 600, you know, things like that. And I can manually bring those back down very carefully. And I can also run a blood sugar as low as like, oh, I've had one get down into the 20s where I'm still uh, actually cognizant. I know what I'm doing uh-huh. and I'm able to treat myself. A lot of diabetics, they get down into like the, you know, the, like the 60s, the 50s, and the 40s, and they just go bananas. And if they get up over, you know, 400, it's like, you know, you're just basically a, uh, what do you call it, a uh, potato. You know, yeah. you're not really able to do um, And so that was part of the reason this went on so long. I just had really, uh, a really resilient system and apparently super kidneys, you know, that were doing a really good job of at least bringing it along a lot longer than normal and masking a lot of the severity of the symptoms that didn't really rear their ugly head until I'd say that last week, you know? Sure. And I think that's part of why we waited because it looked so much just like the flu, yeah. you know, for a few weeks time. But then the weight loss really took its toll that last, I'd say, you know, week and a half or so. And that's when mom was like, you know, okay, we gotta, we gotta go see the doctor. And I remember I was the one that was like, no, it's just the flu. I'm fine. You know, but uh, just because I was a kid, I just didn't want to go to the doctor, you know? And I assumed that I assumed my card is as much. I was like, yeah, that's not, I don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking leukemia or something like something that, yeah. Oh, right. God. I mean, it was even a lot about it. It seemed like it could have been that, you know, so I was like, oh God. Yeah. 
So, anyways, man, yeah, that's well, that's quite a moment, man. Where where you finally? I mean, you just from that point on, life short. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna love what I want to love, and I, I I'm gonna be as weird as I want to be, and I, I'm gonna live in my own world, and I'm not gonna worry about what other people think, and that has been something I have continually honed and crafted. I, I'd say all the way up to the day, you know, it's that it, it it's just it's become part of who I am, you know, yeah. um, as a as a growing person. Which can make me a really odd people, you know, person to some people, and also an interesting person to some people. It just depends, I guess. How I mean, it just depends on how innately weird you are. You know, like if you're if you're if you're in touch with your weird side, meeting me is kind of like Ben's cool. He's all right, you know. Yeah. But if you're one of those people that's like, you know, you kind of just buy what everybody else buys and does what everybody else does, I can I can come across as nuts, you know. So yeah. <laughs> I'm all right with that. Well, it's really inspiring, you know. I, I noticed it from the the band in Seattle th- when you guys started talking. I mean, I'm like, these are some just nice dudes. Like, and then being on yeah. the being on yeah. the on the the show with you here, I mean, you're just a, a fun dude. I mean, I've I've been having a blast. Like, it's just it's just a fun conversation because you are who you are, and it it uh, it brings out you know, things in other people, I think too. And, and, uh, I mean, the cool thing is your environment where you're meeting a lot of people and people are seeing you and experiencing you is in an environment where they can let loose and be themselves. It's not in a corporate environment where I can't say this, can't do that. They're cutting loose while you're on stage. You know, yeah. that is really the perfect pair. I mean, it, it's just really, I, I think that's another reason I've always really enjoyed you know, playing rock and roll, and especially just the loud stuff, is because in a certain context, in a certain environment, you know, even the most uptight of people, um, when they're when they're exposed to that, can sometimes let go in a way that, whether it's you know within a moment or whether it really does affect them the rest of their life, it's like a small epiphany that you know that they can actually break free or that they can actually be themselves. And that's that's a big part of I think. Hobo for Jeff and I is, you know, we we really like the idea of, of a loud, crazy, awesome show, but something that really, really makes people feel included yes. um, and part of something. You know, because uh, both growing up poor, we were constantly made to not feel included, mm-hmm. you know, um, by other individuals or people, you know, whether that was being in school and you're the poor kid in your class. Or, you know, not having the experiences that the other kids do who have families with money, like being able to go to things like summer camps and have extracurricular activities up the yin-yang. I mean, for us, it's like we just basically survived on what we could, uh, the best that we could, which there's a huge percentage of this nation that has existed that way that's not heard and, and not listened to. Um, and there's a huge percentage of this nation that was raised in a very safe, bubble-like environment that kind of needs a little bit of that nihilism in their lives. They need that wake-up call to understand or realize that, no, it's okay. You can let go. You know, you can be irresponsible for five minutes. It's okay. Yeah. Um, that, that at a rock show is, what better place for that to happen? As long as the environment is being put on by people that, really do care for your safety and really do love you but at the same time are like go ahead have a shot you know (laughs) freak your brains out you know it's all right you know i i I can't tell you how many times people are like how do you roll around on like 
a floor covered in beer, you know, and sweat and God knows what else. But I'm like, because people love it. And I love making people smile. And frankly, I just, at the end of the night, I, I wash my clothes, take a shower. But I, frankly, it's fun. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's an exorcism of sorts, you know? <laughs> um, so I think, uh, I think that's, that's something that's, uh, especially these days, is vastly overlooked, you know? Yeah. It's it's extremely valuable too. I think people don't realize. I it's funny that you bring that up about about uh, you know being able to to have a space to to be who you are and do what you want and, and cut loose. I've had two other people on this podcast that that uh, I've chatted with this about, and it was uh, Ian McKay from Fugazi and then uh, Larry Livermore from Lookout Records, the guy who signed Green Day, and uh, talking about Gilman, uh, the Gilman Project, and how. The whole idea was to create a free space where there was no judgments and let the people run it and let the people, you know, do what they want and something magical will happen. And it totally did. And it's yeah. just insane how much has come out of yeah. there. You know, it's similar. Well, and so Gazi, Gazi's been a huge, huge influence on Hobo. And that mentality, the way that he stated that view is just, I, I, I could not possibly, you know, put it any better. That's exactly what needs to be happening more often. Yeah. You know, um, remove the proclivities and caveats, and just let people, let kids, let adults, let them be. You know, but give them an environment where they can. Yeah. Not where you're setting all these restrictions and saying, "Well, we're a this, 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 this," and unless you're a this, 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 and this, then you're not included. You're not okay. Get out. And I think that's one of the huge problems right now. Is there's, I mean. If you think about the latter, there's so much to do with that way of thinking that is extremely narcissistic. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically stating, if you don't think exactly the way that I do, you're dead to me and you're dead to everybody else. And I don't care if you're even equating that to something as beautiful and wonderful as an Earth-based movement for you know a, a million different environmental uh, you know uh, uh, needs. If you do that again, you're going to you're going to alienate and you're going to isolate people. That maybe if you just gave them a chance to let go in an environment like that, even if they're not a hundred percent on with what you want, maybe they'll come full circle enough as a person to at least be a good person, at least be a person that is going to live through this life and do what they need to do in a way that is. I guess the best way to put it and the best we can hope for with all of us is to be a steward, right? Of, yeah. of all things, people, the environment, whatever. But you're not going to make people stewards if you're spending all of your time telling them or barking at them about what they're supposed to think and do. And that, again, that's what he just said in like one sentence is like, that's it. That's the yeah. whole thing, yeah. you know? <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think I came up, I was bringing up, you know, Putting limit. I was actually brought it up by by asking about putting limitations on everything that he does. Is as far as like I'm not you know not going to use any pedals. I'm only going to play like with evens. I'm only going to play uh, libraries and and non conventional venues. Uh, you know everything has like a, a limitation. And talking about I like to paint my way into a corner and 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 or you know and work my way back out. And that's how it kind of started, yeah. and then on the theme of that, and and uh, it was really interesting. But your take on it is, I mean, it's interesting how often it comes up. But to have that much, you know, passion behind it and, and belief in it is is really cool to hear because 
I mean, maybe all these people aren't going to change the world on an individual basis, but they're not going to hurt anybody else. You know, maybe that's enough. That's enough to have enough people not hurting, not degrading, not not uh, belittling other people will create more of a movement than, you know, three or four people that this experience changed their life and then they changed the world. You know what I mean? Where maybe it's yeah. kind of an incremental and of, change. And a lot of it too is just, I mean, you know, not to, not to, not to talk on, like, not to derail us here. Like, you know, um, I feel like I'm getting into a totally different topic about, you know, my look on things, but, you know, I will state this, you know, Jeff and I are very, uh, I would say overall, as far as our aesthetic goes, we're very uh, strangely analog in a, in a very non-analog world. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things, I mean, the biggest, I would say the biggest, uh, I guess, turnkey or caveat for this record, for Monolith, is it, it's almost like you come to a realization that you're a dinosaur existing within a world that is changing around you that you don't necessarily 100% agree with um, mainly, and I think this is one of the the number one caveats for me, because I can't have a face to face conversation with people anymore, and there there is so much nuance and and I guess stuff that's picked up on when you're talking to someone face to face that goes beyond the simple dismiss you know dismissals and judgments and well you said this and that equals this. Face-to-face interaction goes a lot deeper than simple two plus two equals four. You oh, know, absolutely. and it's just so much more intelligent, actually, than the diatribe that goes on on social networking or uh, you know encapsulations or a, a billion shared blogs with one soundbite or quote shared over and over and over again. And in essence, when you ignore the former. And that is, you know, the, the, the face-to-face conversation. It sort of leads to what I think Jeff and I have both observed as a societal madness. Um, and so Monolith is actually, it, it, it's an encapsulation. It's a, it's a story, ultimately, of uh, the perspective of one losing their mind in a world that, to them, they feel is eating itself, mm-hmm. uh, coming apart, uh, that's gone crazy. And it's not an immature perspective for a record either, because it, it starts with that, and it starts as sort of a frantic attempt at escape, and then it sort of ventures into the realm we all have, realm, you know, ventured into, which is the, the psychedelia, you know, booze, mm-hmm. drugs, anything to escape it, anything to set the mind on a different course. And in the end, we have bittersweet reflection, which is sun for the do. It's the realization that you are a dinosaur. If you if you feel this way, you are a dinosaur, and the world around you is falling you know is falling apart in your eyes. Mm-hmm. And you must, in bittersweet reflection, embrace and understand that. And that was something that I felt I needed to say as an artist, um, just full frontal, you know, and just say, okay. Here it is. Here, here's what it's about. And as you can tell, and as you can see by the end of all this, I don't take myself that seriously. Um, but I can take a third-person perspective. I can take a step back and observe my life or my life in 
you know, retrospect to what's going on around it. And I can say, okay, well, there's that. And then there's what's happening. And then there's your perspective. And I can make almost like a, a third person or a, 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 a perspective outside my own judgment of what that is. And that's, that's kind of what the attempt with monolith was. And it also allowed us to get nuts. It allowed us to just explore that realm of a mind unraveling. And um, I think that was one of the most liberating and fun things about making the record was how crazy we could get with it. You know, um, at some point, I think I was in the studio with Ben and I was doing prepared piano overdub, you know, where you're dumping things into an open grand piano so that when you strike the keys on the piano, you get different tones than would normally ring out on the piano. Uh You've literally got a uh, uh, you know, a ring of keys that you throw into the piano and it hangs down off the strings. And when you strike, you know, for example, you know, C sharp or whatnot, that C sharp suddenly sounds like a synthesizer, you know? And I remember Ben just, you know, sit there and he's like, all right, just keep doing your overdubs. I don't know where you're going with this. And then in the end, we ended up taking that excerpt and kind of slamming it up against that more Zeppelin-y, you know, S chord progression that was Cincinnati Juggernaut. Uh-huh. And we came out of it again with, uh, there's that encapsulated madness where you've got, there's a continuity and there's a central portion in the middle. Um, there's, you know, the half-step key modulation that occurs uh, from, I believe it was, I think we went from C-sharp to D back to C-sharp. Uh, which was, which was tricky, actually. I remember. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember getting done with it and a lot of people were like, why did you do that? I'm like, well, just, you get, you gotta listen to the record as a whole and it, it kind of makes more sense then. But, um, again, it's just, it allows you to get nuts and then your justification for the nuts in regard to the, uh, the overall path of what you're going for, I guess, it's, um, it makes it easier to keep moving forward. Yeah. It makes it easy to, okay, well, what are we going to do next? And that was Grim Out. What are we going to do next? Uh, that was Night of a Thousand Daggers, you know? And it, it all starts to kind of line up and make sense if you can, in context, just sort of forge forward with that, you know? Yeah. It's such a fascinating idea, too, to to run as an idea through the record. And, and I mean, you can see it all around you. There's this old cartoon or something... I can't remember what it was, but there's a house and for some reason the house is sitting there and then all of a sudden there's a freeway and then a whole city basically builds. It shows like this montage and then that little house is still sitting there and up in up in your area, like Redmond, especially where Microsoft really hit hard in Bellevue, there's houses you'll see that are these little houses that have been there forever and they have the most beautifully manicured lawn and like shrubbery and everything else. And when Microsoft came in and, and just built up all around it, the deal they had with them was that they can live there until they die. Microsoft will upkeep the lawn and everything else to match their stuff so it doesn't look like an eyesore. And then they get the oh. land and when it's done. And it's it seems like that same kind of idea where you're a dinosaur and you're, this world is changing around you. It's almost like a visual of that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and your your character, just like the, your house analogy, is a good one because your character, the more that you, the more that you, I guess, embrace that mentality or that separation of oneself from what's going on around you, and just focus on your own world and developing it, and you know, maybe that's your lawn or your, you know, your shrubbery. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, 
again, it's overtly a very interesting character that you're looking in on. You know, physically, immediately, you know, uh, objectively looking at it, you're like, oh, that's an interesting character. Mm-hmm. But as you peel back the layers, you know, uh, you you're you're going to find even more character. You're going to find even more going on with that. And no matter how much money things like Amazon throw at being obtuse or interesting, or uh, uh, I always just throw out quotes from, you know, Zoolander, but, you know, derelict, you know, <laughs> things like that. I, uh, I find myself just sort of, it's like, it's so pale in comparison to real humanity and, and, and the kind of character that really is built through continuing to try as hard as you can to hold that little light up and keep that to keep that little light going of what humanity is. Yeah. Um, humanity is not the corporation. Humanity, no matter how hard the corporation tries to become humanity or show you that it, it, it show you its quote unquote softer side of Sears, you know, in the end it's <laughs> it's just kind of bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. And then the more that you the more that you embrace your own and yourself and your own weird little world the more that shit versus Chinola just becomes so quickly and, and readily obvious yeah. uh, uh, to you, I think. I mean, to anybody. I'm not just speaking for myself. I think to anybody. But we've got to get people, this goes back to our, you know, Fugazi, you know, shared space kind of thing here. Yeah. But it goes back to giving people the freedom to step out the door and start that path. And if you, if you can't start there with something that at least – Starts that. I mean, God, you know, you're, we're 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 going to have a hard time explaining this to people, you know, outside of a, a very lengthy interview with a lot of patience on part of the listener who who wants to sit through this this slog. You know? <laughs> I'm no Dostoevsky, you know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, not going to write some great, you know, great novel that's uh, that, that that's going to encapsulate it in such a way that it, you know. Uh, absorbable by people, you know, by the by, by just anybody. Sure. Know. Well, like we talked about, I mean, what we were talking about earlier with being, you know, a group of people. It happens one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, until this group for like what you're doing. It, you know, no matter how big or small, you're making that change. You know, every time you're you're hitting the stage, every time you're doing an interview like this, like I'm inspired right now. Like I feel really good right now, just after you know spending the last hour with you. I'm inspired. Like it's, it's, it's a spark kind of thing, you know, and I knew it was going to happen too. after I, you know, I listened to the record for one. I was like, dude, this guy could be the most boring guy in the world. And we could just talk about this record, (laughs) this record, you know, because it's badass. Like someone had to do this thing. And then, you know, what a pleasant surprise, you know, A, a very smart, you know, very switched on inspiring individual. And, you know, I was, I was almost, I was going to almost ask, you know, how, how'd you get hooked up with Monica? How did you, you know, she's got this insane roster of people and I don't even need to ask. I know, like I, you know, I, I can see why someone would be attracted to the band, to working with the band and, and, you know, and, and, uh, it's just, I mean, inspiring. It's really inspiring. And I really appreciate, you know, you taking this time to do this, this interview and, and come on the show and, Take the time out of your evening, and uh, I think my listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation. You know, and I think everyone's going to take something from it, good or bad. It's it's. I think well, it's and I, I hope I wasn't. I, I really hope I wasn't too um, 
my worry is always that I'm too presumptuous with the things that I say. You know, um, I get excited about exchanges and interactions, and I would never want people to think that I'm, you know, um, sitting here tooting my own horn about stuff. I just do my best to sort of, you know, just explain the way that, that I go through the creative process, because that's, that's usually what people are asking, you know, when we're talking about stuff like this. And sometimes getting into, you know, sort of like our opinions or ideas or ideals about... Um, sort of more of like the esoteric parts of life as opposed to the how'd you get it done. Yeah. Uh, tends to translate better, I think, just for explaining the art side of it since since music doesn't really... It's like a language to me that does a better job with language than language does. Yeah. You know? Um, where you can express coloration and you can express verbiage all at once. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, and, and so it's almost like if aliens came down, right, and they want to communicate with us. And I realize it's just, you know, close encounters. <laughs> but I mean, that's my first thought. And always happens. Since I got into music, I'm like, you'd think they'd probably be more apt to want to communicate via something like that. Right. Yeah. And, but you know, universal you language, friend, us, 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 us not hostile. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't think they're going to react to that, man. <laughs> Why don't you just, Play him like that open A major off, shoot the thrill. Yeah. Just, just see if it happens. Let's just see if they, I think they're going to like that better. <laughs> oh my God. Try that. Right dude. Out of the gate. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude. Well, Ben Harwood, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And, and Monolith is out November 3rd on Kitchen Table Records. And you need, to, right. you need to pick that shit up, man. That, that record is it's absolutely fantastic. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben Harwood from the band Hobosexual out of Seattle. The new album is called Monolith. It is fantastic. Go check it out now. As I said, Trans Am Sunday, the first track off the record, is the new song for Peer Pleasure. Uh, you've been hearing it the last couple episodes. I, I didn't announce it because I wanted to wait for this episode to be able to kind of make it all make sense. Um, so you can hear Ben, you know, you hear his story and you know how he starts to write and create and i wanted all to tie itself together which hopefully it did for you and uh so once again super super appreciative you guys come back week after week you listen to the show all the way through you comment you know share it with friends i I just love 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 the fact that i have you guys and uh i can't say it enough and so um definitely check out uh patreon.com slash peer pleasure podcast join that pleasure seekers club help support the show you know and uh we're, the show is always going to be free but it definitely helps out to have that little extra uh to make more merch and uh those of you that bought merch thank you very much we love seeing those pictures come in of uh t-shirts hats stickers all that business so uh i'm not going to keep you any longer next week we've got more great stuff coming out every week we haven't missed a week yet and we're going to keep rolling so definitely stick with us and uh, once again, we are on purepleasurepodcast.com, Instagram, and Twitter. We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, everywhere podcasts are available. And check out Monolith from Hobosexual out of Seattle. Ben Harwood was my guest. And next week, we've got some more coming for you. So as usual, we'll see you on the radio.
Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>